Ready? A little more enthusiasm, a little more fire. Here we go. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Amen. What a great word. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for this new life that you have given to us, this life of the Spirit, this life of Christ that you have deposited in us. What a gift. What an incredible gift. And Lord, we pray that we will be able to make the most of this wonderful gift that you have so lovingly, so graciously, and so undeservedly made available to each and every one of us, at no cost, freely. You have poured out the richness of your spirit upon us. And, that, and the richness and the dynamic of your presence living in us makes all the difference in the world. Changes how we think, changes how we talk, changes how we plan, changes everything for the better. And so we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here in this place, in each and every individual life. I'm grateful that you know the tiniest nuance of detail about everybody in this room. And despite that, you love us. That's the amazing part. You know us to the very core, every aspect of our life, every thought, word, and deed, and yet you love us and have demonstrated your love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Lord God, we just ask that you just work mightily now, work powerfully through your word as we dig into it and as we sit under it and as we listen to it and, and um, evaluate how it is that you want to apply it to our life. Lord, we just pray that uh, in everything today, Christ Jesus will be glorified in all that is said and done. And we just thank you for this incredible gift of salvation, gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray for a, a greater hunger a greater spiritual hunger on the inside to desire after the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and the, and the gifts and the ministries, the entire functioning of the Holy Spirit. May you, Holy Spirit, work mightily through this church to accomplish your, your will and purpose. Bless our time together. Bless our time in the Word. We ask this now in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. All right. <clears throat> So, now, now think about that, right? We're, we're, we just read, and it says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And just to see for, for a brief moment how these things are tied in together, if you go back one chapter to chapter five, which we worked on, worked on the first eight verses, I think, right? Uh, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access into this grace in which we stand. That's such an important thought. You know, we have, having been justified by faith, so that justification, a good way to remember justifications, uh, theologians have used it to say, just as if I'd, like justified, just as if I'd never sinned. I am justified. A person who is justified is pronounced innocent. Their claim to be Innocent has been proven. 
And so now they are justified in their claim. That's exactly, that's the, that's the terminology that's being used biblically. We are so completely forgiven and cleansed from all offenses that we can actually have the audacity to be able to say that we are justified. Nothing could be further from, there is no justification for this old man and things that we've, all of that, right? There could, there could, I mean, you might, you and I would want to make one if you're standing before God and all of a sudden we see this big, this huge record of the actual guilt of our life. Well, sure, we would, we all want to justify ourselves. We all, all want to exonerate ourselves and excuse ourselves or whatever. It's kind of a natural thing. Smarmy little creatures that we are, devious little troublemakers that we are by nature. We always look for ways to kind of like slip out from underneath any sense of responsibility or accountability. But um, in this whole matter, God has so completely cleansed us that we can actually say we are justified before God. Having been justified. How? By, by many, many hard acts of deep spirituality, by carrying a cross all around Oak Ridge with just a towel around my waist. And that will bring, you know, there is no means by which we could be justified. Having been justified by faith, all I have to do is believe what God did for me and realize I could never do it for myself and receive it like the free gift that is being given to me that brings justification in a biblical sense. That is theologically the terminology that is appropriate. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And by, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access into this grace. Oh, grace is where you want to be. Grace is favor. That's the, I think that's the best word that I know that turns it into kind of an English word. If we talk about grace, it's like a holy word. It's a religious word. You know, so it, it, we, we kind of have some feeling for it, but it's just, it's one of those words that's out there someplace. But it really means favor. It means favor like the favor that your kids have with you. So you go to watch their soccer game. Who are you watching? Everybody else's kid? Well, oh, because it's, you can't miss them. But who are you watching? Your kid, right? Who's God watching? His kids. He's watching out for us. And he has made a way whereby we can relate to him in peace and in love and can actually have rapport with him. So today we're going to talk about a subject that we started in a couple of weeks ago. And I believe it's really an important topic for us as believers to challenge ourselves with because it really, it, it, it looks toward the most awesome aspect of who God is. And we want to tie that together with this whole idea. Again, over the last little while, what we've been doing is taking a lot of time to memorize the words. We get a lot of, a lot of word in our mind. But the word, the best thing that we can do in order to allow that word to be as fruitful as possible is to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit because he's the one that gave the word in the first place. That passage from First uh, Peter where he says, no scripture is of any private interpretation, but holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit, were born along by the Holy Spirit, and then they recorded those things the Spirit of God spoke to their hearts. That's how the whole process got started. The Holy Spirit let David write some Psalms and he let Solomon write the book of Ecclesiastes and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and everybody else. He was on those people, revealing himself through them. Um, 
But all that work was being done by the spirit of holiness. And so the spirit of holiness is in that whole word aspect and in our memorization of the word, in our cherishing of the word, and then also in, um, in this aspect um, in terms of being spirit-filled. And that's kind of, that's, that's, where, that's where I think we ought to go right now. So um, here's, the, uh, here's the text for this morning, and we'll be talking about the spirit of holiness. And, and my, what, I'm trying to pull together a couple of things. We talked about the word, and then I thought, well, we gotta get into the spirit. That's balance. That balances us out, right? Because, you know, we, we've looked at that, right? All, um, all spirit, no word, you blow up. All word, no spirit, you dry up. Proper balance of word and spirit, you grow up. And so, and so I don't care what you think. I'm just gonna do what I wanna do because, no, I'm, she's just kinda looking at me like, can we leave now? <laughs> Not really. Okay, so, and notice this verse of scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter seven. It's really on the tail end. It, it really, that verse ought to have been placed at the end of chapter six, because at the end of chapter six, after Paul has made kind of an appeal to these people in living in Corinth to get themselves, cut themselves loose from the bad worldly influences that were all around them. He says, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and I will become a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, all right? So this is the promise that we're about to read. This is the promise being referred to. This is the tail end of chapter six of 2 Corinthians where he's, he's saying, uh, don't be yoked together with unbelievers, okay? There's, there's a good word for anybody who's not married yet. Don't be yoked together with an unbeliever you will be sorry that you did, okay? So make, your, make it the first priority that whoever you're going to link up with for a lifetime connection is somebody who loves Jesus, okay? That's just wise because you go, you'll only find out how deep those difficulties can be when you, find up in, you, know, when you wind up in some difficult place and you, you are completely of a different mind as to you know, where things should go from there. So anyway, he says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers, but come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord, and I will be your father and you will be my kids. So then it brings us to this passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 1. And he says, therefore, having these promises, what promises? The promise that God will be my father and I will be his kid. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So now to get back into this teaching a little bit, just to kind of recap and want to be brief on this, but um, over the last few months, we've been concentrating, as I said, on the importance of memorizing the Word of God, our incentive, our motivation for this is based on the many passages of Scripture where God promises to pour out special blessings on those who take the time to memorize His Word. Psalm 1 is a perfect example. Here it is. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the, uh, the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Okay, do you hear any of, co any of come out from among them and be separate in that? Hello? Right? I mean, it, it, that's the starting point, right? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree uh, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. I want that. 
Do you? Right? I want that. As a matter of fact, the thing I want most in this world, and I'm not just trying to be like pastorly or something like that, uh, I want to be the blessed man. Blessed is the man. Now, there's lots of other adjectives we could put in front of man. You know, I'd like to be the smart man. That would be really good. I would be happy if, um, you know, if, to, to be under, seen or perceived as a smart man. I would like to be the talented man. I would like to be the rich man. Anybody else want to be the rich man? Right? Uh, I wouldn't want to be the creative man. I wouldn't want to be the inspirational man. I don't want there are many different adjectives that we can throw in front of man. But who I really want to be is the blessed man. And here's the thing. Everybody in the world can be the blessed man. Again, this is non-generic, so this applies to us, male and female. It is simply for the sake of saying, where do I sign? Where do I, how, how, I want to be this blessed man. Blessed is a man that uh, endures temptations. For after he has tried, he will come forth like pure gold. There, there are just tons of places in scripture where God tells us how to be the blessed person. And the blessed person is going to be the person, here's, the, here's what it actually means. It doesn't mean like sparkly rainbows and, well, it doesn't mean sparkly rainbows, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> not anymore it doesn't mean sparkly rainbows, but you know, that's a whole nother story. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that everything just goes easy and fun and, and all of that. But it just simply means that whatsoever he does will prosper. That's the key. That it, it's so frustrating in this world because whatever you do, it feels like you're rolling the rock up the hill. Am I right? Right? You've got to give it effort and keep effort. Just like those rotten kids that we were just talking about, weren't we, Brent? Right? I mean, that whole, everything that you want to do in this world that's good is like rolling the rock up the hill. It takes effort, it takes work, it takes continuity, it takes tenacity, right? We have to stay with it all the time. And the minute that you stop, the rock comes rolling back on you. That's kind of the way it works, right? So, and so you've got to keep the energy. You've got to keep the momentum. You've got to keep it happening. But in this case, what God, you know, we, we sing that song, your goodness is running after. It's running after me with my life laid down. I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after. Running after me. And that's, think of what a different picture that is than me trying to carry all of my baggage and all of my weight and to move along in this world. No, it's that I now have the whole momentum of the Holy Spirit. If, if obedience, if submission, if deference to the will of God and the purpose of God is, the, is a priority, then God's blessing is gonna overtake that whole process so that he's going to adorn it with success. Again, not necessarily that to make me the rich man, the handsome man, the creative man, the talented man, any of these possible, you know, like the successful man, but he can make me the blessed man. He can make you the blessed man or the blessed woman. And so um, I didn't even mean to go off on this thing here, but it just, you know, I guess we just have to blame the Holy Spirit. But these are promises that are found in the word of God, right? And, and, they, and this is why we want to take the time to memorize the word. It's not for nothing. It's not to try to be religious. It is because I want to be the blessed man. And I can be the blessed man. I can't be, I may never be the rich man. That's probably a given at this point. But I'm rich enough. I got a great wife over there. Got one of my kids in church here today. Have a beautiful family. I am a rich man. Hallelujah. 
Anyway, the power, this powerful metaphor of uh, Psalm 1 um, illustrates the blessing of meditating on the Word of God. We also looked at another passage similar to it, Joshua chapter 1. We looked at that one. And, and here, despite the many complications that Joshua was facing, God gave him the secret for spiritual success. Would you like the secret for spiritual success? I hope you would. I think that's probably why you arrived here this morning. Here it is. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success, okay? So the whole thing is based upon, I mean, he's got a lot of things to do. This guy's got a lot on his plate. He's got a huge responsibility. You would think that he would have to sign up and get himself enrolled in some kind of a college or graduate school or something like that to take on this project, to follow a leader like Moses, okay? And then to have to bring the people into the land and then all the conquest that was necessary and all the organization that that would have taken. A huge, he had a huge amount on his plate, but God gave him the, spirit, the secret for spiritual success. Now, it worked for Joshua, despite his many difficulties, and let me just say, it'll work for you too. This, because God is no respecter of persons. God doesn't love Joshua more than he loves you. God loves you every bit as much as he ever loved Joshua, and he's eager to help you to find success in this world. So, memorizing God's word was sufficient in the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, that's what God gave them. That's all they had. They had the word. And so for them to take the word that God had given and committed to memory uh, was a major part of an Old Testament, uh, Testament discipline. But when it comes to the New Testament, God has given another gift, a much, much greater gift than even what he gave in the Old Testament in terms of his word. You remember that Jesus told his followers that they were to wait tarry in Jerusalem until they received the promise of my father, right? That's the end of the Gospel of Luke, the beginning of the uh, book of Acts, and it, and it is underscoring the fact that Jesus is saying, look, until you receive this gift, despite the fact that they had walked with Jesus, they had served with Jesus, ministered with Jesus, ate, drank, and slept, and lived together with Jesus for three years, you would think that'd do it, right? You figure, okay, well, I, 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 think, I see how he did it. He's, no, it's not enough. The only way this will really work is if my spirit comes in, if you receive the gift of my Father. And, and that is the way the Spirit of God is spoken of throughout, especially in that early portion of the book of Acts, as a gift. Let me, uh, let me uh, point to a scripture. When, that, when the day of Pentecost comes and, and they receive the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire and the whole thing, and they kind of spill out onto the street, and there's some kind of revival thing going on, and people are out there speaking in other tongues, and, and it's kind of a strange event, and people are looking at this, and there's a lot of people in town because it's Pentecost Sunday, so everybody's come from all over the world. Interesting strategy on God's part. Wait till everybody comes to me, and then we just give them all one shot one time. And that's how it played out. And so they come out, and they're talking, and they're talking in languages that they don't even understand, but the people who are there that are visiting, they understand these languages and they're going, what in the world is this? We've never seen anything like this before, right? Parthians, Medes, Jews, he starts listing all of the surrounding neighboring countries, but we're all hearing these people in the same language. And so Peter, sensing the confusion that's going on, gets up and he just starts to lay it out and tell people where it's at. And uh, this, is, this is a portion of the, uh, of the message that he shared with them. It says, now when they heard this, and, and what the this is, in this particular case, is Peter telling them, look, you guys just crucified the Lord of glory. 
you guys just did the most abominable and worst thing that ever will ever happen on this planet. God came to this planet and you killed him. Almost reminds me of um, Nietzsche's expression, which was not an expression of, of jubilation, where he said, God is dead. Okay, but he goes on to say, God is dead, but we have killed him. And there will never be enough water to wipe the blood from off of our knives. Think of that. In other words, <clears throat> he, was, he was proclaiming the fact that the influence of God had been left behind. Man had just decided God was done. And so in this case, Peter is speaking to them and he's, he's telling them, you guys just killed the Lord of glory. And, this, is, um, and this, is, this carries it on. So it says, when that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So this gift obviously is only for the charismatics and Pentecostals, right? This gift is for you and your children and for as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, it is clear that the, the, the Holy Spirit is obviously the big player in terms of our salvation. And for many of us, he was working on us for years before we actually came to the point of acknowledging and receiving Christ. He was kind of bringing people into your path and bringing people who knew things and, and Christians who had a testimony, had an example, and just different people along, along the way. The Holy Spirit was doing all kinds of work all around you for years and years, right? But at some point, it all kind of, the lights went on. And you became saved and came to know the Lord. So, the, so the, the Spirit of God was doing His work. He is the agent of salvation. You can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. But all of this is bringing to our attention that there's something more to this than just being saved. There is an encounter that these people had with the Holy Spirit and it happens in Acts chapter 2, and in Acts, Acts chapter 8, and in Acts chapter 10, and in Acts chapter 19, again and again, as people who are now saved are collecting together to seek God and look to God, the Spirit of God comes down upon them, and they begin to do a variety of different things as a result of that presence of the Spirit of God. So I'm just trying to lay out that this is not something for some particular group. This isn't something just for pastors or leaders or apostles or epistles or any. You know what the epistles are, right? The epistles are the wives of the apostles. Mm, come on. Anyway. So anyway, according to Peter, the promise of the gift is promised to all believers in all generations. So uh, the Holy Spirit is the, is the active presence of God who works the entire work of salvation, of God's saving work into our lives. The Holy, Spirit's uni the Holy Spirit unites us personally to Christ Jesus himself, and then after linking us or uniting us to Jesus himself, he then works to link us or place us into the body uh, where he wants us to be. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us. 
He gives us the life of Christ. He makes the life of Christ alive to us. The Spirit of God takes the experience of Jesus. This is why it's beneficial that we're doing this Roman, Romans 6 verses 1 through 4 thing. I'll explain in a minute. But the Spirit of God takes the experiences of Jesus, his incarnation, his ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection and ascension, and makes them ours. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that just like Christ was raised from, de- from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we also should rise up to live a new kind of life. So it is all in the personal association and identification with what Jesus went through that we find the Jesus life in us. We've been, we've been going over, and if, if, if you can get out on Wednesday night um, to our men's Bible study or the ladies' Bible study, Jewel does a great job there. The kid, John and, and Christine, are doing a fantastic job, and Joel doing a fantastic job up top with the, uh, with the teens and with the young people. Um, but if you can get out on Wednesday night, we are studying Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and it is so profoundly rich. And then... Um, it, it is being done to this thing that's on YouTube called Doodles. And so while, CS, while they are reading the text of Mere Christianity uh, in the, on the video, some guy is drawing pictures the whole time. And the pictures are all like totally right there. They're capturing every nuance of thought and he's just kind of making it not only, you, you're not only hearing it here, but you're seeing it here. It's a very powerful experience. And so it, um, it, it was so cool. My brother said yesterday, but... At the, um, when we got together, that um, he's, he talks about like what it actually means to be born of the Spirit. And he says that when, when, we, when we are born of the Spirit, God takes a deposit of his life, okay? And that, and that deposit, his Spirit, his actual life, because the life of God is zoe life. There's two words for life, three actually, bios, uh, suke and zoe. Bios is like the word we use for biology. It means living things. About That's what it's all about. Um, suke is the life of the flesh or the life of the soul. Okay, It is that life you were born with. It's that life that you're going to get 50 or 60 or 70 or maybe 80 years out of it, and then it'll be over and done. That's the life of the soul, the suke life, but then there's the zoe life. And that's what God did. He took his own zoe, his own eternal life. That's why he says of Jesus um, should not perish, but should have everlasting life, zoe life, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have Zoe life, eternal life, everlasting life, okay? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is Zoe life, okay? Eternal life. And so God took a little piece of his life and and he just went. And all of a sudden, Bill came alive. He just kind of snapped out of it, right? And and so within us, the dynamic, this this is how it is actually supposed to be understood and how it works. Within us, there is a new and very dynamic and very powerful life that has come in to live within this old vessel, within this old suke vessel. And, and that new life is the same life. It's, it's a measure of it. It's a portion of it, of the life that was completely and 
eternally complete in Jesus himself. Jesus had the fullness of that life, and we get a deposit of it, and then we are told to start, start listening. This is gonna lead you down the right road. So, and, and when, let's say when, when, when difficulties come, it is that Zoe life inside of us. We're the, still the same person we always were, but we are a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away, and the sooner we actually get a handle on that, that the old person, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that just like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, so we also should live a new kind of life. Well, we can live a new kind of life now because we have a new kind of life within us. We have that Zoe life, and that life is the life of spiritual power, of spiritual understanding, of spiritual wisdom. Okay, let me get back to what I thought I was gonna talk about here this morning. Anyway, because of the Holy Spirit, the story of Jesus Christ becomes our story, becomes our experience. So the Holy Spirit, um, so the Holy Spirit is God giving us the gift of himself. That's what the Holy Spirit is. It is God giving us the gift of himself. That's why it says the following in Romans chapter eight. It says, therefore, brethren, we're debtors, not to the flesh, and that goes back to what I was saying a moment ago, not to the suke, not to the, the, the human life that we were born into. We are debtors not to the suke, to live according to the suke, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. In other words, the only good thing waiting for the flesh is the grave. And it's not necessarily a particularly good thing. Right? But that's, that is going to be the outcome. But if you, he goes on to say, but if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then he um, kind of defines it in this way. He says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So how can I be sure I am one of the children of God? Am I being led by the Spirit of God? That would be the testimony. That would be the key. So now, given, given this whole balance on, that I'm trying to draw between memorization of the Word and, um, and trying to walk deeper, more deeply in the Spirit, if, if memorizing Scripture was enough, if, that, if that's all it was about, then Jesus could have just simply, after his cross and after his resurrection, could have said, look guys, I got a copy of the scroll for you. And so if you memorize Psalm 1, and make sure you look at that Joshua, the, the Joshua part of the scroll, once you get verse 1, verse, you know what I mean? That would have been enough. Nothing more would have been needed. But Jesus said to them very clearly, you are not ready until you receive the gift of my Father. You are not ready to minister. You're not ready to do anything. You shouldn't even try. Just go back and wait for that promise because when that promise is poured out on you, he is going to bring power into your life and then you will be the witnesses unto me and throughout the world. So, um, he told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. The promise was the person and presence, the gift of the Holy Spirit. They needed to be filled They needed to be baptized. They needed to be immersed. And any other words that we can possibly think of, because they're all basically looking at the same concept, they needed to be under the governance of the Spirit of God, under the loving, wise, faithful, patient governance of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's how they would be able to move forward. Um, 
Okay, so with all this in mind, what is holiness and why is holiness so important? And uh, so as we become attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, um, his priority will be, again, that's why I chose the name at the beginning, the spirit of holiness, okay? The priority of the spirit of holiness is to bring us into a holy way of living. That, if, we're, if there's anything that would be kind of a basic for the whole thing, and I think this is often not even considered. We talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about manifestations and gifts and works and thrills and chills and things that, that are part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us, but um, we, I don't think we often make the connection that he is the spirit of holiness. As a matter of holiness is something that is vital for us to understand if we're going to be able to fulfill God's purpose. So as a basic starting point, we're, we, we need to understand the Holy Spirit as the spirit of holiness. Now, I think we get a little flippant, a little shallow in our knowledge and respect for God these days. We talk about God with any, without any sense of fear of his awesome power, of his glorious nature. Um, but it's very interesting because um, in the Bible, every time that uh, someone in the Bible gets a mere glimpse of God or a mere glimpse of the resurrected Christ, um, that person falls down dead. So the, it, is, it is apparent that the real, the genuine presence of God when encountered by a sinful human being is a terrifying thing. Um, holiness is at the heart and the core of who God is. It is God's preeminent ad- attribute. God's preeminent attribute. Here's a quote by Billy Graham who said, as I read the Bible, I seem to find holiness to be God's supreme attribute. There's a pastor from Philadelphia, James Boyce, who once spoke to a group of Christians about the attributes of God, he began by asking the group at the top of the list, he began began to ask them, what would they define as the attributes of God? Okay, Um, the group, the the first one, let's see if you can can figure it out, okay? What what do you think the first attribute that they listed in terms of the attributes of God? See what we get. What was it? I'm not hearing it. Love, okay, that's, you're right. That's exactly what they chose, they chose. But you know what? It's wrong. Okay, this, is, this, is the, this was the uh, order in which they chose things. So the group put love first, that was at the top of the list, followed by wisdom, power, mercy, omniscience, and truthfulness. The fact that God was holy was only remembered at the very end of the list. And the, this pastor who did this uh, um, with, with this group, he said, that did surprise me because the Bible refers to God's holiness more than any other attribute. Do you know that the word holy is used 427 times in the Old Testament and that's not using the word holiness, just holy 427 times in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when, when people get a vision of God, they say something like, Holy, holy, holy. They repeat this thing three times. Now the ancient Hebrew language didn't have like underscoring and bold writing and how would, I, how would I place special emphasis on a particular topic? Well, they did it by repeating a word. Just like Jesus would say, verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, I say to you, right? To kind of underscore the fact that like, look, this is important, this is true. So, um, Very seldom do we see a word repeated twice, much less even three times 
and never when it comes to the other attributes of God except this one, God's holiness. So think of it this way, okay? God is all loving. But the angels that are around the throne of God, they are not chanting or singing loving, loving, loving. Is God love? Is God all loving? Absolutely. But this is not the attribute that they are tuned into. God is all knowing, but there's no record of heavenly angels sit around the throne saying omniscient, omniscient, omniscient. His power and might have no limit, but the songs recorded uh, by these uh, angelic um, beings around the, the throne don't sing powerful, powerful. You see what I'm, the point that, that we're making, that this aspect of God's holiness is fundamental. It's, it's basic to who he is. And I believe it's kind of neglected uh, in our time. So I think that, that's why it's on my heart to say, okay, let's, let's take some time to think about God's holiness because it just isn't something that we discuss or talk about very much because it intimidates us. It freaks us out, right? Because we don't know, there's nothing holy in us. So this is an aspect of God that he does not share with humanity at all. So the question would arise, well, how in the world can, how can God say to these people, will you be holy because I am holy? But there's good news on that front too because God has made a way to impart, to ascribe to your account holiness, perfection. You have been so cleansed by the blood of Jesus that you are no longer guilty before God. God when God looks to you, he does not see your sins. Your sins, it would, it would dishonor the sacrifice of Jesus for God to be cognizant of our sins. Because the sacrifice of Jesus is so effective that he paid with his blood for every last bit of it. And so to even bring it up again would be an insult. Right? Because just like if somebody like, you know, paid a gigantic bill off of you and every time you saw them, you had to remind them of this you know, kind thing that they did. They'd say, after a while, they said, shut up, will you? I, I was happy to do it. Right? And that's the same way here. And that's how God feels about you and I. Shut up. I know it. I know all about it. I made a way. It is an issue. It's not a big deal. We don't have to be stalled on your guilt. We don't have to be stalled on your lame life. <laughs> right? That's, that's really the, that's the way that it is. We, we can get off of that platform because there's no hope there. That is, if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. That's what spirituality is, by the Spirit, right? Taking, taking the cues, taking the signals from God. Well, I got about four and a half more hours of material to present in. But that's okay, we're gonna have next week too. So let, let, we'll leave them hanging just a little bit. We, I wanna get into this topic of holiness. I just want to, I want us to see it in a new way, not as something formidable. See, in the Old Testament, when the holiness of God is on the scene, people are freaked out by that. You think of Moses, and Moses is out in the wilderness, and he, he's 80 years old, and he's been looking for God, and one day he walks up on this, this bush, and, and, and while, he's, while he's tending his sheep, and he looks at the bush, and he thinks, that's weird. Now, I, don't, I think that a, a burning bush in the middle of the desert is not necessarily a strange thing. Bushes spontaneously combust in situations like that. But he's looking at this bush and he's saying, it's not burning up. That's weird. And he gets a little closer and he's still watching and this bush that is burning there is not being consumed and he's amazed by that and he hears a voice. 
Moses, stop right there. Don't take another step because this place where you are right now, this is holy ground. Okay, and so what happens to Moses? He's freaked out. It says he, he started to hide his face. And so would you and I be. We'd be utterly like blown away if we could have that kind of an encounter as we are with the holy, the perfectly holy God. It would just, so the Bible says that no man will see his face and live. So whatever this holiness is about, it would just simply, it would be like, <coughs> a, a good analogy might be like the sun, okay? And our, the sun is the source of all life in our solar system here. Everything that's growing, everything that's living is being fueled by the radiation, by the energy that's coming off the sun. It is responsible for all life that's happening. If it stopped happening, all life would die, right? So God is like that. That life is, is, is infusing life into us, but that life comes with holiness, and holiness for us is a threat most of the time, but not anymore, not because of what Jesus has done.